You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 5. Ninety minutes later, a small group of them were gearing up at the science lab door, preparing to move downstairs. Denver, Gil, Sam, and Trent were nominated to stay behind and guard the domain, each of them privately grateful for the task. Sam and Cody were in their corner, arguing quietly. You can't stop me from going, Cody told him. Over my dead body, Sam said. I'm going. Cody leaned in. You haven't eaten anything since this happened, he reminded his big brother. You and I both know you aren't strong enough, Sam. I'm as strong as a horse, Sam argued unconvincingly. His skin was pale and clammy, and his eyes were sunken in, his voice weak. Let me go, Cody asked. I can do this. I was born for this. Yeah, and I'm just the weak, pathetic guy who's always sick, Sam said. It was a perception about himself he loathed, one he would always fight hard to prove wrong. Cody spoke softly. No one thinks that but you. And anyway, who's going to protect them up here? You'll be just as vulnerable as we will. Sam surrendered, reluctantly. Just don't be a hero. Cody flicked his lighter nervously. And stop playing with that lighter, Sam said. There could be broken gas lines from the explosion. You want to blow us all up? Cody tucked the lighter into a pocket and went to the door with his backpack. He bumped fists with his brother and turned away. Let's do this, Cody said, joining the others. Gil and the scavenger crew were talking. It's on the first floor by the registrar's office. What is, Cody asked. The teacher's lounge, Gil replied. There's always food in there. And look for batteries, we're running low. Check TV remotes, radios, whatever you can find. Sid slung her pack over her shoulder. It's 26 steps from the registrar, she said. Everyone kind of looked at her funny. I count things. Get over it. They each donned their protective gear, dust masks, and goggles. They looked ridiculous, but better safe than sorry. Gil peeled back the tape and removed the sheeting over the doors enough for them to exit. Be safe, he said, and went back to sealing the doors once they were through. The hallways were strangely peaceful and empty, as they might have been on a weekend or holiday. The three of them crept to the stairwells and descended them stealthily, two floors down to the glass skywalk that connected to the Student Activity Center building. They knelt down and observed their target. Only way is to army crawl, Kyle whispered. Can't risk them seeing us. They all agreed, got down on their bellies, and dragged themselves over the skywalk, one at a time. The SAC building they were heading towards was in far worse shape than where the group was hiding. There was debris everywhere, which was considerable, since the bomb had gone off just three stories below. They descended the stairwell, dodging giant bits of plaster and misplaced handrails and odd loose tiles. There were papers and bags, coats, hats, and other personal items strewn about. And that was just the stairwell. When they reached the ground floor, the stairwell doors were partially blown off and hanging by the hinges. 
With Kyle in the lead, they carefully stepped over and through the doors and entered the hallway behind the cafeteria. This is where I was, Sid said through her mask, pointing toward the ladies' room. The air was very still, and there was no movement anywhere. Kyle crept ahead, then waved them over, indicating the floor was clear. Where to? he asked Sid, and she took the lead. When they reached the food storage area behind the cafeteria, it was almost completely destroyed. There was nothing left for them to bring back to the group. The pantry shelving was completely bare. Even the refrigerator walk-in had been ransacked. Looters, Cody said in his mask. Are there more of us, hiding? Sid and Kyle shrugged. Sid removed her face gear and stood in the middle of the mess, ripped open bags of rolls, stomped on chips, spilled jugs of chocolate milk, and for the first time she felt pangs of despair. Cody kicked around empty egg cartons. This sucks, he yelled. Kyle continued to scour the room, refusing to give up. There's got to be something, he reasoned. This place fed a thousand people three times a day. You guys keep looking. I'm going to hit the teacher's lounge, Sid said, headed for the door. No, Kyle stopped her. We stick together. She shook him off. I'm not going back up there empty-handed, she said. You know where else they have food? In the greenhouse. The what? Cody asked. Behind the agricultural building? Kyle asked her. I hang out there with Ben every day, Sid said. Or I did. Kyle shrugged his shoulders. Well, we can't go there yet. It isn't safe. Oyster crackers and tomato soup, Cody called out. There's about 10 cans of it and jelly packets, a whole case. Kyle and Sid smiled at each other. Sounds like a gourmet dinner right about now, Kyle laughed. Cody and Kyle packed the food into their bags and followed Sid through a corridor behind the cafeteria. They put on their goggles and masks and re-entered the hallway. Why don't we head back? We've got enough for now, Kyle suggested. But Sid kept walking toward the dining room of what was once the cafeteria. As soon as she saw the blast area again, something in her changed. She started to get angry. Cody spoke up too. I'm not real comfortable going this way, Sid. She picked up speed. Sid, Kyle said, we should really stay together. She stopped just outside the blast area. Since we're down here, don't you want to check things out? Maybe it's safe outside. Maybe we can finally get out of here. Shouldn't we just stick to the mission? Cody asked. They're waiting for us. This isn't some video game, Cody, she said. There were real bodies here yesterday. Bodies of people I knew. People who are now dead or turned into killing machines. Kyle spoke delicately, afraid that Sid might be unraveling. Listen, Sid, I wholeheartedly agree. This is life or death, and that's why we need to get back upstairs and make a plan, okay? She turned toward the dining room, unconvinced. Cody tried to coax her back. Sid, when I'm playing rugby, we don't just show up on game day and expect to win. We have practices and game plans. We have a coach and the team has each other's backs. Ha! She laughed maniacally. You really think people have each other's backs? We are alone, Cody. Out here, out there, everywhere. Jesus, Kyle whispered to Cody. She breached the entryway into the dining area. 
If you ask me, sitting around waiting for help is the bigger risk. Yeah, well, we can't just march out into the square and take a deep breath, Cody said. We need a plan. Let me tell you a little story about plans, Sid said angrily. My mom was diabetic. My dad was deployed, and we had a plan if her sugar dropped too low. So one day, when I was four, she passed out, went into a coma, and died. Right in front of me. And I couldn't help her. So much for plans, right? Kyle came toward her. You were four? Four is a baby, Sid, he said, reaching for her trembling hand. This is different. You're older now, wiser. My dad trusted me, she cried. She died on my watch. None of us are going to die, he reassured her, and none of this is on you. He gingerly caressed Sid's arm. I don't want this, she whispered to him. Any of it. It's too much. I want to find Ben. I want to find my dad. You will, he whispered back, his face just inches from hers. You got this, Sid. Cody tried to interrupt. Guys? Kyle dried Sid's tears with his sleeve. He stared down at her, some kind of outside light reflecting in his hypnotizing green eyes. Guys! Cody hissed. The three of them stood silently at the threshold, their eyes on the square. Then they heard the rumbling, felt the ground shake just a bit, and through the gaping cavity in the cafeteria wall, they appeared. One by one, they pulled into the square, massive, camo-colored military transporters, dozens of them, the morning sun bouncing off their windows. Run! Kyle said. The trio wasted no time doing just that. Halfway up the stairwell, they stopped and cautiously looked out the window to find out what exactly they were running from. Armed guards stood at the vehicle's doors while soldier-like things emerged. They were people, but not really. Young, like students, dressed in some kind of military gear. They seemed to be in some sort of trance, their eyes bugged out and their movements stiff like robots. What the hell? Cody said. That's my friend Jeremy from rugby. And I know that girl with the curly blonde hair, too. What the hell happened to them? Sid said. They've been recruited. Kyle pulled at her shirt. And I think we're next. Like hell, Sid told them. They raced up the stairwell back to the lab and she counted the steps. 15, 16, 17, then two steps at a time, 21, 23, 25. The others let them in and Kyle quickly brought them up to speed. Where do we go, Doc? Sid asked. The drones will find us on the roof. Is there a basement? Cody was looking out the window. The soldiers had begun to enter the building. They're in, Cody said. And with that, Gil perked up. The lockers, everyone, quickly. Lockers? Sid cried. You want us to hide in lockers? Gil grabbed her arm. Sidney, it's our only option. We'll have to find a way, he said. Then to Sam, grab a weapon. Everyone was looking at Sid, waiting for her answer. Go, go, was all she could say. Then to Denver, are you good? Can you make it? It's fine, she said, looking down at her wrapped foot. Sid let her go first. Let's move, she said. They hurried down the hallway to the lockers. Some were locked, but most were not. Denver fit right into one and shut the door. Sid followed suit, as did Gil and Kyle. 
Trent had to break a lock but was able to somehow jam himself in. Cody was about to close his locker door when he noticed Sam was still out in the open. Get in, he said to Sam. Sid peeked out to see if she could help. Sam was completely panicked. The only locker left is full of stuff, he whispered. No way I can fit. Cody and Sam tried desperately to empty the locker without making any noise. The recruits had reached the floor below. They could hear them breaking glass, tossing desks, and knocking down doors. Sid's heart was pounding in her neck. If Cody and Sam didn't hurry, they were all going to be caught and subjected to who knows what. Miraculously, Sam was able to squeeze his muscular body into the tiny locker. Cody was not as lucky. As the soldiers entered the stairwell, Cody stood frozen in place. He knew there wasn't enough time to get into a locker without making noise. It would surely alert the recruits to their presence. The only thing he could do was duck into a classroom nearby, dive into a trash can, and bury himself in garbage. Sid carefully closed her locker door and held the latch, praying that whatever was about to happen would just get over with quickly. A half minute later, the recruits were on their floor, making their way room by room toward the locker area. It was an eerie experience that sounded more like a stampede of buffalo than a procession of humans. There were no voices, no speaking, no commands of any kind. Occasionally there was a grunt or groan, but nothing about it felt human. Soon, the recruits were in front of their lockers. Sid started to hyperventilate so hard she had to put her hand over her mouth to stop herself from gasping for air. One by one, their figures lurched past the vent in her locker door, making strange shadows. Some of them banged directly into the lockers as they passed by. Sid couldn't imagine what had transpired with these people, who were students just a day before. Suddenly there was beeping, simultaneous beeping coming from the recruits. They must have been wearing some sort of signaling device because when the beeping commenced, they instantly changed direction and headed downstairs. Sid and the others collectively sighed in their tiny metal hiding places. Trent was the first to open his locker. Jesus H. Christ, he swore, trying to maneuver his body out of it. Everyone stay put till I give the all clear, he whispered loudly. After the signal, they all exited the lockers and stood in the hall. Where's Cody? Sam asked, stretching his arms up. I'm here, a shaky voice called from one of the classrooms. They rushed in to find Cody trying to heave himself out of a trash can, his shoe and sock drenched in blood. Holy crap, Sam said, running to help. What did they do to you? Cody shook his head. I jumped in the trash can and there was a broken bottle or something inside. Pretty sure it's bad, he said, wincing as his brother set him down. My Achilles. We can't stay here, Kyle warned. We have to at least get back to the lab and blockade the doors somehow. Kyle rushed to Cody's other side and helped Sam carry his brother back down the hallway to the lab, the rest of them following quietly. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.